We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in episode 74, BuzzBeat Radio. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network and home, queencityhoops.com. Um, we've actually got some basketball to talk about today. Hornets open preseason against the Celtics uh, on Friday night in Chapel Hill. Brian Geisinger, um, one-third of BuzzBeat Radio here, and obviously a member of uh, our good friends over at SportsChannel8.com was there. Um, BG, real quickly, was it a cool experience in, in Greensboro the other night? Or excuse me, in Chapel Hill. Yeah, yeah, I liked I thought it was uh, it was really neat to see it different. Just looks strange seeing NBA teams on a floor that I cover a lot for, for college and for, for UNC. So neat to see people, you know, walking around in the tunnels before the game. It's just strange to see Mitch Kupchak and Gordon Hayward and Brad Stevens going through the salad bar and Stephanie Reddy and Del Curry walking around too. And so it was a cool experience. I thought there was a, a decent crowd, lots of Celtics fans in the building, which I, I suppose is to, not not too much of a surprise, but neat experience, and I feel lucky that it came up to my neck of the woods because they, they they tend to move that around and feels like every few, every so often they bring it to this to the triangle. So neat to have it here. Glad I got to uh, glad I got to experience it firsthand too. Yeah, very cool. Um, you know, moving the brand, sharing the brand rather uh, with the triangle area, obviously a no brainer. Um, so glad that the Hornets did that. Uh, and cool experience, you know, obviously for you to get in front of the team a little bit. Seems like there's a lot of energy right now, a lot of positive vibes, you know, around Borrego. Brian, you texted me the other day. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see when uh, some guys lose out on these rotation spots, mm-hmm. right? Like how, how the vibe changes maybe a little bit then, which I think is a really important and, and good point. Uh, Richie, what's happening down in Charlotte? A lot's happening. I, I turned 30 last weekend, uh, and then last night uh, we had our little baby shower. Uh, very fortunate to have all the friends and family show up. Um, we're definitely going to spoil our little kid. And we had a couple games, couple games going on uh, at the baby shower. Uh, we had a um, a chugging contest out of a baby bottle, which was very difficult to kind of drink out of a, a nipple. There, uh, it would not come out as fast as you would think it would. And then we also had a game where we played where like you had to guess whether the mom or dad. Uh, whether whether the statement applied to the mom or the dad. So, for example, uh, it would say something to the effect of "Who will be the disciplinarian, mom or dad?" and then, and we gave away prizes for that. So it was interesting to see all my friends and family and uh, how well they actually knew us. Uh, some of them were just kind of pure guesses, but uh, a lot going on. We got five weeks in, until until the baby arrives. It's closing in, man. Um, yeah, I was actually hoping. A few external factors might work out, and I was going to be able to make it to the uh, to the baby shower, but uh, but not to be glad it went well, uh, and we're all excited for uh, for baby Randall to almost be here. Just in time for Hornets basketball too. I mean that that's the most exciting part. Maybe I'm sure for you, obviously, and your wife, you know, she's pumped that he'll be able to see some Hornets hoops 
as soon as it comes out. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's jump in here. Um, oh, gosh, where to start? Not a ton to talk about. We're going to talk a lot about the game, obviously, this new offensive system, which I thought was very, very obvious uh, the other night, and then, you know, how these players really mold into this system. What are the good fits? What are the good lineups, et cetera, et cetera. Let's start with the game. You know, I'll just open it up by saying I was really, really impressed with, and I went back and watched this game last night, Michael K. Gilchrist, his overall performance. Um, I wasn't quite sure, you know, with Borrego, the side wants to play up-tempo, probably a little bit more small ball. Where does MKG fit? The other night, I thought he fit just like where he has in the NBA since he's begun, you know, an, an energy guy, you know, getting on the offensive glass, um, you know, getting in that short corner area on offense, you know, the, you know those little ghost cuts, if you will, behind the defense. Um, but he's going to have to become a more cognizant offensive player as Borrego wants to use more space on the floor. But, you know, that doesn't – I don't think it restricts him at all. It's actually going to create more space for a guy like MKG to find those little creases and be more effective. Um, 12 rebounds, 10 points, and 22 minutes to play – uh, Richie, what really stood out to you about KG and how he was able to be so effective in only 20 minutes on Friday night? I mean, even I mentioned this on the Buzzcast when I think when Brian or you brought up the fact that he had you know double-digit rebounds, I didn't even realize that was the case. I'm I was surprised that he had 12 rebounds, and um, I think that's going to be a benefit of his in in terms of kind of fitting in with that that Borrego philosophy of grabbing the rebound and just heading up the court. I still think he needs to be a little bit more controlled uh, when attacking the rim because I think sometimes he just kind of uses his strength, his speed, his power to kind of power into the lane and go up with that layup. Um, but I think that he should be able to benefit from that, you know, the more spacing lineups kind of spreading it out and he's got the middle of the floor to work with. I thought he did all right on defense. There was a couple of times I noticed where his man got by him and he still kind of has that tendency to overhelp as we call it at times but I, I think it just sucks that he's his shot has like never developed uh, mid-range has been there you know some seasons not but the fact that he has never developed a mid-range or a, a three-point shot uh, really does hinder his I guess ceiling um, but you know he, he is that glue guy that that you need in, in a lineup and I, and I think he will benefit from JB's philosophy but I just, it just sucks that his shot has never developed. I think the interesting thing with him, too, is we everyone who watched the game Friday night picked up on this. You saw him playing a lot of minutes as the team's sort of de facto power forward, right, playing the four. And in some of those lineups, he's playing with Miles Bridges. They're both sort of like vacillating between the three and the four, sort of playing that, that three-and-a-half position. But Michael Kigo, of course, has played six full seasons in the NBA now. And this is really the first time we're going to get to see him used like this, where he is going to play. I mean, again, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how things develop and the, the way the rotation breaks down. Him coming off the bench as a power forward, this is a new role for him. And I think it's something that and I think he can excel in. He can bring energy. He can bring a rebound to that position. Again, in, in 22 minutes, he goes 10 points on shooting possessions. 12 rebounds, two assists, 10 defensive rebounds, a 35% defensive rebounding rate when he was on the court, no turnovers. Um, I, I was impressed. And I think everything that he played last season under Steve Clifford, only 140 possessions as the as, at power forward with Marvin off the court, with Frank Kaminsky off the court. So, again, this is, this is, this is new ground for him, but I think it's going to open up room for him to cut from all sorts of angles on the baseline, from from high to low, those, those types of cuts as well too. I think it might even open up his playmaking game a little bit. I think he'll be at a little, maybe a slight more, like a, have a slight speed advantage over some power forwards, especially coming off the bench, and that can open up his drive game. That can open up drive and kick game for him. And again, I mean, the shot's never going to be there from deep. Even though I saw him before the game, he was he was shooting threes from both. Uh, alternating both corners and from above the break. It's like, yeah, nothing you've ever seen before. You've never seen Michael Pinko Chris take shoot shoot threes. So even even some warmups that was a little jarring to see. So I again I don't think you can count on that, but all this other stuff, like this is real 
and this is tangible. And, and I'm excited because I think it's going to allow him to get to a new version of his game, something that we haven't seen before and something that, Spencer, we've talked about this before with him. Like, imagine him on a team with, like, Golden State or Houston. This is, this is a, you know, he doesn't have anywhere close to the amount of talent around him, but this is, a, this is the type of role that he would be playing. And I think in some lines, like when he plays with Frank Kaminsky at the five or with Billy Aaron and Gomez at the five, and those look like the two guys that are going to get backup minutes at the, at the, at the center position, he's going to also get to be the one guy like inside the arc on some, of the, on some possessions within some of these lineups, even with Cody, too, who stepped out and hit a pick-and-pop three with, uh, with Batum. Right? So I'm excited. This is, again, we've, we've talked not only about player development a lot this summer, Seeing guys being used differently, and, and maybe Michael K. Gilchrist might be is sort of like an early candidate for the guy that's going to have the, the 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 biggest change in his role from last season to this season. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, you know, offensively, we talked about how there's going to be more small ball, and that's probably going to benefit him. You just brought it up where he's almost the the quasi center. You know, everybody everything kind of orbits around him. Um, but you know. It, in the open floor, this is going to play faster. You know, we've seen MKG not be a great transition player um, in the past. I wonder with, with more efficient opportunities in transition and really just more of like the green light, um, which didn't exist under, under Clifford, makes him a more efficient uh, transition player. And look, he gets to the free throw line um, six times mm-hmm. on Friday night. Um, you know, I don't remember off the top of my head how many of those were in transition, but I guarantee you at least one of them was, you know, so, so that's going to benefit him as well. I think just creating more easy opportunities at the free throw line. Um, and then, yeah, defensively, I'm just excited because, and we talked about this a little bit last year, him not having to just chase the other team's best player all the floor, fight through all these different screens, um, you know, and, really just not have as much pressure on defense. And I think you can see the other night that Borrego is going to be much more open to switching defensively and with these more versatile lineups featuring guys like Bridges and MKG, you know, and Marvin, Marvin. or in Lamb. So all of these guys that can switch across, you know, multiple positions, I think it is going to take a lot of pressure off MKG, and I think you're going to get more out of him, you know, defensively. So I'm excited about that as well. But, I mean, look, Borrego's – I think it would give him the green light um, on both ends of the floor, especially in transition offensively. And, and I really think the MKG, we're going to see one of his better seasons in the NBA. I think at this point we kind of know what he is as a player. Mm-hmm. I like the system maybe more so than I initially thought I would for a guy like MKG. I wasn't sure where he was going to fit. After just one game, I'm way more confident that he can find a role in his mm-hmm. on this team, and Borrego is going to be more creative to help him fit into a lot of different lineups. So um, very promising performance for MKG on Friday night. Yeah. It is sort of interesting after the lack of Michael Gilchrist's discussion after the Borrego hire, he's sort of like the most obvious guy to talk about after the game on, on Friday. So there's, there's a bit of irony there. But this also, what it does is it allows Nick Batum to move to the three, which is something that we talked about hoping to see at some point. Nick Batum certainly talked about hoping to experience that move this season. It opens up the guard spot, so you can either try Jeremy Lamb. He seems to be the guy, but if that doesn't work out, you give Malik Monk a shot or, you know, whatever. It, it just it opens up that possibility as well, too. And, and I like the look of Lamb playing with the starters. Yeah, I was just going to add a quick thought to what you said earlier, Brian. You said that, you know, out of all the players that you noticed, the biggest change might have been with MKG's game or MKG's role, which is interesting to me, you know, moving him from a starter to the bench unit, who would have thought that actually moving a a guy, I guess, down, quote unquote, uh, would actually Mm -hmm. kind of have a bigger impact on him, him, you know what I mean? So like all these talks about, or the lack of talk about MKG, like you said, it's, it's very ironic because when you saw him play Friday night, you kind of saw the possibilities of him within uh, Borrego's offense. Totally, totally. And I mean, like, it, I mean, this is getting a, probably way too wacky and ahead of ourselves. But you never know. I mean, depending on some matchups, you know, hell, maybe we see some lineups where Miles Bridges and an MKG or Marvin and MKG, like those are 
your power forward and center. You know, maybe we do. I, I doubt that we're going to see that again. I'm, I'm getting into some very like situation specific small ball lineups, but don't we kind of want to see what that? Don't you kind of want to see the, those those the types of Hornet lineups? Uh, I'm I'm intrigued by them at least. Yeah, they're gonna, look. He's Borrego's going to get more. Yeah, that's just the bottom line. You know, that's going to happen. Um, it, I was just, and we'll talk about this more later. I was so shocked at how obvious the change is. They just jumped off uh-huh. the screen at me, uh, you know, on Friday night. And I just, I did, didn't expect that. I didn't expect to see it that quickly. Um, they play Boston again tonight. Um, so I'll be very interested to see now that both teams have seen each other and kind of understand a little bit of what to expect. I think maybe Charlotte has a better feel for what Boston is going to bring. Boston probably not a great feel for what they were going to see from Charlotte. So kind of how they counter it defensively and, and how the Hornets look in game two against the same group that they played just two, uh, yeah, just two nights ago. So mm-hmm. I don't think that that game is not on TV, correct? Richard? Correct. Yeah, it, you can only get it um, through radio, um, WFNZ, I believe. A few things I just want to mention about this game. Actually, I'm, now that I'm just looking at the box score, I didn't even realize it. Realize these things the other night. Willie Hernan Gomez, um, some bright spots. We know his limitations defensively. Uh, went three of teams from the line. Number one, I didn't realize he got to the line ten times. And number two, I didn't realize he only hit three of them. Um, so that kind of raised my eyes. And then Dwayne Bacon in 25 minutes um, – Got up 11 shots, which Whoa. is uh, impressive. I want to stay with Bacon for a minute because mm-hmm. I'm really not sure, with, you know, when Monk is in there, where do his minutes come from? But where are we Where are we at in terms of what Bacon is as an NBA player, future is maybe in Charlotte or really just the NBA in general? I, you know, he's a mid, he wants to be almost a mid-range savant. He's trying to take more triples, took two on Friday night, missed them both. We saw him try in summer league. But he's very hesitant to me to get to the rim. It's almost like mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't have a bad first step. Um, not really explosive, but can go by his defender, especially you know go by a, a closing out defender, a helping defender. But rarely do you see him get to the rim, and it really limits his ability, I think, to get to the free throw line. And I just thought he was really, really hesitant um, on Friday night to get all the way to the rim when it felt like he had numerous opportunities to and just wants to pull up uh, for that little mid-range shot uh, or a little push shot right in the paint. It, it's kind of an odd fold to his game. Is that Dwayne Bacon as a player, or do we think there's another layer we can kind of uncover? Well, I think currently that's how he is as a player. It, like you said, it kind of seems like he gets into the lane, puts one foot in the lane, either kind of fades away or just pulls up for mid-range at the elbow. Um, and, and kind of to your point, when Monk gets back, I don't know where those minutes are going to come from for Bacon, uh, just kind of with all the rotations and the shifting that Borrego does. I don't really see too big of a role for him uh, when everyone is healthy. I think he just has to take the same path that Jeremy Lamb did. I think that we've talked about the similarities between these two players in terms of being a good defensive rebounder, being good in the mid-range, but just kind of slowly adding other aspects to his game, like the corner three and also getting to the rim, like you said, Spencer. I I thought he actually did a pretty good job of getting to the rim in Vegas. I didn't really, you know, pay close attention to it Friday night, but yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously this is only his second year in the league, so I don't know how much I'm going to expect out of him, a second-round player, uh, to get too many minutes and too big of a role with Borrego's system. But I do think that the path that Jeremy Lamb has taken, that's someone that I, I would uh, expect him to kind of model his game after uh, because I do see a lot of sam- similarities between the two. I think that's a good point. In, in agree. The the concerns with his with his like shot profile are are very real. And last season, eighteen percent of his field goal attempts at the rim is a pretty bad number. Sixty uh, percent of his field goal attempts are mid range shots. Thirty eight percent of those are thirty eight percent of his field goal attempts are long mid range shots. Again, those are monster numbers. Some of the I mean that that ranks literally in the 99th percentile for NBA wings. And there's a reason why this guy had an effective shooting clip as a rookie uh, of under 41%. And again, on those pull-up twos that he fancies himself on, shot only 32% on pull-up two-pointers last season. So unless that changes, it's just sort of tough for him to figure out, like, he's going to crack the rotation 
a couple things need to happen, and one of those is he's got to start just banging catch-and-shoot threes, which up until this point he's shown little to no uh, ability to do. He shot under 29% on a small number of catch-and-shoots last season from, from distance. And with Malik Monk and who knows with Miles Bridges and MKT, I just think once the rotation tightens up, he's going to get pinched a little bit. But let's remember Dwayne Bacon just turned 23 years old mm-hmm. uh, a month ago to the day a month ago. Hopefully he'll get some playing time in Greensboro this year, I would imagine, as well. I think there's an NBA player in here, but he's going to have to completely rework his game because that summer league preseason offensive profile of, you know, look, hunt for the mid-range, don't get all the way to the rim, but don't take a lot of threes. It's just once the season gets going, man, like there ain't there ain't a lot of use for that. So, and I just don't – defenses are more than happy to funnel you into those shots. So, in, until that gets reworked, it, it's tough for him to be anything beyond a fringe rotation player on an average team like the Hornets. Yeah, th- really the reason I wanted to bring him off is because <clears throat> I'm definitely approaching – Yeah, I, look, Dwayne Bacon's a good basketball player. He has some very, you know, discernible skills – in playing professional somewhere. I don't know that that's really the NBA. Um, I think this season, you know, with Monk obviously being priority number one, uh, you know, Jeremy Lamb, I mean, we're just, there's, there's no one for him to play, right, in terms of minutes and, unless we have a few injuries here. So, you know, I would be surprised if the Hornets, um, if they pick up that option um, after this season. And I would not be surprised to see Dwayne Bacon go make good money elsewhere. Uh, but not in the NBA. You know, I, I just – I think your point, Richie, you know, it, there are a lot of, com, you know, similarities with Jeremy Lamb. I think that's a good one. That should be his feeling. We've watched Lamb turn such a corner, and I just watch Bacon, and I don't I don't see the flashes that make me think, okay, he's a good enough athlete, or he does something. You know, like Lamb's always kind of been a little bit of a creator, a sneaky creator. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really has that. Yes, uh-huh. uh, and setting other people up, and it's just – Brian, like you said, the shot profile, the mid-range shots, I mean, it's just it's way, way, way too much. So, we, uh, yeah, go ahead. Just when we talked at, with last summer in 2017, we did a podcast, the, the three of us, with Chris Kroger, and we talked about the Monk and Bacon picks. I remember saying this back on that pod, like, you just got, guys just got to try to figure out, again, the, the, the land comparison is spot on, but... If not that, just figure out how to become a 3 and D player. This guy's got to learn how to shoot corner threes and got to become a better defender. I think he tries on defense. It's not like an effort thing, but he's just – at best, he's an, he's an okay defender. But he wants to, like, carve out, like, a, like an NBA career. Like, that's how you do it. Like, yep. make 40% of your corner threes and become, like, a guy that can defend three positions on the perimeter. Like, if not, like – it, who man? Who really cares about any of your your mid range stuff? And I just think, in terms of once the season starts and some of these position competitions, yeah, again, like we talked about this at the start of the podcast, like once these competitions start to play out and guys get pushed from the rotation, I think he's the most obvious guy right now. Yeah. That it's just hard to see a spot for him, if especially if Miles Bridges is ready to play minute to the three off the bench. And Malik Monk is having a, a breakout sophomore season. It's just it's tough to see minutes at the wing off the bench being readily available. Agreed. Yeah, and just you know, on top of all this, not a great physical profile. You know, Dwayne Bacon's six five doesn't have a great wingspan. Like, there's nothing. You know, there's no intangible like that that jumps off the page. Like, oh, got to get this guy on the floor somehow. So interesting year for Dwayne Bacon. It's going to mm-hmm. take going to take an injury for him to get a real opportunity. I would think. Um, few other things. Batum, you know, on Friday night, had some moments. You can see his passing ability, his quick decision um, ability. You can see how this is going to fit in Borrego's system. Missed some wide-open shots, I thought, but that's really not to be too much of a surprise here. <laughs> Batum and Kimball Walker both, if, you know, whatever you think about the plus-minus stat, I'm not a huge fan of it, but both of those guys were plus-16 leading the team, huh. who I thought was impressive. Um when they were on the floor, it worked, especially early in the second half. Um, the Hornets were able to do in that third quarter against mostly um, Boston's guys, uh, starters, was very encouraging, and I thought a lot of it happened in transition in early offense, which is what Borrego wants. 
Um, I thought that was encouraging. Kemba, 3-10, uh, 12 points, 1-4 from behind the arc. Uh, just one assist, two turnovers, one steal, three blocks, Randy. I don't what? One of them, I don't think. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I just think Kimba, and I said this the other night on the on the right. buzzcast, I think he's going to actually have, it's not a learning curve. I think it's more of just what it is, I guess. When you're used to playing on the ball that much and mm-hmm. just that good with the ball in your hands, at yeah, he's good at creating for other people. Not great at it. He's an average, average probably in terms of guard. But just creating for yourself and setting your defender up and just being able to constantly get a great look with the ball in your hands to just go off the ball. You know, I always think that's overrated. Oh well, you know what this guy's going to do? He's going to allow this guy that dominates the ball a lot to get off the ball. Well, that doesn't mean that he's going to be a more effective player just because he's off the ball, right? Like when you're used to being on the ball that much. I think it's actually very, very difficult to go be off it and still find your own offense and kind of mm-hmm. fit within this new system. I think that's going to be tough for Kimba, and I think we saw that the other night. He was a little bit unsure, to my eye, of when he needed to come to the ball or come off an action or really make the play for the team or when he should let kind of the offense and, and Lamb or Batum or whoever it was kind of initiate. So I thought that Kemba was a little bit hesitant. Did, did you guys see the same thing, or was that just me? Yeah, I would agree. I felt like he it was almost like less involved. You know what I mean? Like he he didn't have the ball in his hands as much. And this is a byproduct of Borrego's system, where you know he spreads the floor, puts people in opposite corners, but he also allows whoever grabs the rebound, unless maybe you're a five, is kind of just grab and go. And you mentioned Batum um, had some success uh, early in the offense. He he kind of had a pull up three, I think, real early in the game, and. Um, you know, Kemba's not a bad player off ball, uh, but his bread and butter is just, you know, in the pick and roll game. So I just wonder if this system, um, you know, Kroger said that he might have his best career or, you know, best season of his career. But, uh, you know, like you said, there's going to be a learning curve that comes along with that because he consistently scores out of the pick and roll top five uh, player for the past several years, whether it's efficiency, you know, points per possession, whatever it is, you look at those stats out of the pick and roll. Um, and you're just not going to see that. It doesn't seem like as much out of Borrego's system with that, you know, pace and space play and, you know, getting more people involved and things of that nature. So I think it'll benefit other players, but Kimba is definitely going to have to learn within this offense how to play off ball a little bit more. He did make a nice backdoor mm-hmm. cut. There's definitely little intricacies that he's going to have to learn within the system, but I don't think it's necessarily the the high pace that's going to kind of confuse him. It's more just kind of the ball out of his hands more often. Yeah, I think that's it's it's important to to give provide a little context here. So two seasons ago in 2016-2017, Kemba Walker, uh, 12.2 pick and roll uh, ball handling possessions per game that he used. That's 55% of his possessions. Uh, both of those numbers are tops in the NBA. Uh, and then last season in 2017-2018, 10.8 pick and roll ball handling possessions per game. Again, that was over half of the possessions he used. I mean, basically over the last two seasons where he's played about 160 games of NBA basketball, about you know, 52, 53% of the possessions he's used have just been him shooting or getting fouled or turning it over out of the pick and roll. That's a lot. Um, and obviously he's going to have plenty of those possessions this year too, but there's going to be a little differentiation. And so I agree with both of you guys. I don't think it's going to be the pace so much. It's just going to be maybe where his attack points are coming from this year offensively. And I do think, Spencer, you use the term learning curve. I think that's perfect. But it's like it's like there's more learning curve, but it's, it's worth learning because if you figure that out, it makes everything easier, right? Like everything, like you were, you were doing it the hard way, which was running pick and roll with MKG on the weak side and with Dwight setting crafty screens and not rolling hard to the basket. And you were make, still making it work. Um, super efficient last season uh, out of the pick and roll. Uh here we go. Yeah, 52% effective shooting out of pick and roll last season, 92nd percentile in the league. Amazing. Um, but you can make it a little bit easier this season. And uh, I think Kemba is a super smart, genius-level basketball player. And I, and I think he, and he, obviously he works really freaking hard, too. So I'm excited, but, yeah, you're right. I agree. And we'll, it'll be interesting to see as the preseason goes along and in the early part of the season just how he looks 
maybe with the ball in his hand a little a little less in the last few seasons. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that it's it's worth learning. I like how you said that. Um, you know, there is going to be a market correction, uh, like with this team offensively. Though, I think like right now we're seeing what they've been repping out in like what two or three practices, right? So <laughs> it's very very fresh. Um, I, I do think when you when you tip it up and these games matter, you know, it's still going to be a lot, Kemba. Right, right. In the pick and roll. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what this team is still going to lean on when push comes to shove. The point is, it's just going to look different. That They're going to try to approach it differently, and, and Kimba is going to get a lot more opportunities away from the basketball. And, look, it's a good thing, too, for the – and we just talk about Batum. That's why we brought him in, right? Like, that, that was kind of the initial plan is to help Kimba out in this way. And I think that Borrego will find a way to – I mean, how efficient Batum is is really up to him and, and the work that he's put in. But Borrego's going to give him more opportunities to be the creator and to make the decisions as kind of the quarterback, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, you know, Clifford, it was just all Kimba. So I, I don't yeah. know that that was – when Dwight came in, it just stymied Batum's development in the system even more so, I would say. so. Um, but we'll see. You know, again, it was very obvious how different it looked, and we'll see um, how this offense continues to develop Here's preseason moves on. Um, Just one other thing I want to put in it, too. Last season, in terms of time of possession, like holding the physically holding the ball last season, Kemba fifth in the NBA, 7.8 minutes per game, behind only Westbrook, shocker, Harden, <laughs> shocker, Wall, shocker, and, and Lillard, who he was basically tied with. And, again, I'm not going to go down this, I'm not going to go down this tangent, but it's, again, more, more fire to my argument of, Kemba is the East Coast Dame Lillard, essentially. With well, yeah, you look at those pick and roll numbers too. They they basically yeah. have the same yeah. kind of numbers exactly. in that pick and roll. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, East Coast Dame Lillard with less marketing behind him <laughs> to be a superstar, essentially. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean, if if Charlotte was just the the hipster version of the East yeah. Coast, like Portland is, you know, we we would you know, Kemba Walker would be Dame Lillard. <laughs> he would get that Seriously. kind of marketing. Uh, yeah, so. A small market like Charlotte, but Portland's just more hip. Charlotte's just got to get there in order for Kimba to get the recognition he probably deserves nationally. And you've got Adidas and Nike headquarters that are both right there too. Yep. You know, like you've got a million advertisers and copywriters. Like I, I know Dame Lillard is sort of one of those guys that people rumor to wanting to play in a bigger market or to go to LA or whatever. And it's like, yeah, he's got a decent situation up in Portland too. Let's just leave it at that. As a max guy, surrounded by all the sneaker money in the world. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, I just hear, like, the top ten player conversation with Lillard over that feels like the last three seasons, and I'm just like, what in the hell? No, he's not a top ten player. I mean, he's a one-way player. The guy doesn't play defense. Yeah. I mean, and, and when you watch a guy like him by 82 games a year, like we do, I think it really makes you scratch your head. Anyways, we're in the weeds now. Get off the same Lillard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's good, y'all? This is your boy, Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze host of Above the Rim, and if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. I know you guys want to enjoy your Sunday, as I do as well, but I do think we do have to talk about Frank Kaminsky. I don't want to talk about it long. Uh, because, hey, look, if you listen to Buzzbeat Radio, you, you understand this really um, typically ruins our days. So he's 0-4 the other night. He's negative 15 plus minus in 15 minutes, so that's not great. Um, it's four wide open three-quarters. Mm-hmm. I think three of the four were created by Kimba. It could have been all four of them. But, you know, just you know, just a little pick-and-pop play that we saw a lot last season – where Frank just floats out to the top of the park, catches it, literally could eat a sandwich before the defender gets to him, and then let the shot go. That's how wide open he is. And it, it really, none of them were close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one that hit the front of the rim, that one that, one that was uh, when they were going from right to left on the screen, it barely clipped the rim. I mean, it, it's just the same thing yeah. with him. Um, so zero, no, excuse me, two points. He made two free throws. Two points, five rebounds, uh, that's it, in 15 minutes. I, again, negative 15. Boy, oh, boy. Um, 
I mean, at this point to me, just, he is what he is. Um, you know, you can feed me the, well, yeah, he's going to play more center this year, though. You know, we're done with the power forward experiment. And, you know, this space lineup is really good. Look, he's been taking wide-open three-pointers. These are the same shots. His entire career, what is more space going to – how could he possibly have more space? More space, space yeah. And he's already – Playing with Kimba, of course his man is going to trap Kimba every single time. They would love Frank for take the, to take that wide open shot. So I just I don't know what else, like what other excuses are we supposed to make for this guy? Um, I, I think we've got enough of the sample size to just say like, should should we just, like give those minutes to Biz like or, or just give him <laughs> if he's healthy? Like why even? I don't know. I really am at the point where I'm like, why even trot this guy out there if he's going to continuously be. 33%, 34% from behind the arc, you know? I, I said this the, the other night on, on the podcast with you guys, and I tweeted about it and actually wrote, I mentioned this in a post I put up at Sports Channel 8, but, like, look, if MKG is going to be the four, the quasi-four off the bench, and Willie Ernie Gomez is going to do his thing where he's a far superior, uh, I mean, I'd be curious to see what some of these some of these wonkier player tracking grades spit out, but in, just in terms of my, my blind eye, Far greater slip guy, roll guy, screen setter, dive player. Obviously, a much better offensive rebounder. I think of him as you know, if he does this thing as the backup five, MKG nails down uh, the the backup four spot. Miles Bridges is able to help out. Like and, and Frank doesn't make these pick and pop threes from above the break. Like it, once this once the rotation tightens to nine or ten. Like, he's on the outside looking in. Uh-huh. And for whatever it's worth, perhaps not much, because it's, it's just one stupid preseason game at the end of September. But, like, the Hornets' best quarter by far Friday night against the Celtics was the third quarter where they outscore them 39. They outscored Boston 39-21. Charlotte scores over 1.25 points per possession. That quarter, Frank Kaminsky played zero minutes in it. He sat the entire third quarter. He didn't come in with the second unit like he did in the first half. And, um, yeah, Charlotte, that, that was their best quarter of basketball. It was when Batum and Kemba sort of took over. Um, again, it's just one quarter from one preseason game. Like I don't want to put too much into that barrel. But, like, this is a trend. Like, this is – we need to have – honestly, like, we need to have a name for this going into the season. Like, What's what like the like the the vintage Kaminsky performance is like twenty plus twenty plus minutes of playing time, like at least minus ten in terms of like plus minus, mm-hmm. and like sub thirty three percent shooting from deep, like yeah, yeah. like one of like yeah like one of like tw- like the the Kaminsky game is like twenty three minutes minus ten one of four shooting on three pointers when all of them are wide wide ass open too. Yeah, um, and the and the one make comes, you know, in garbage time like three right. left, you know, so it's so it's even a watered down make. I mean that's you know, Kaminsky loves to do that, misses the first four or five and then and then yeah. drains one late and you know, st- struts back up the floor. That's <laughs> and also, vintage Kaminsky, you know, you're, you're going to be guaranteed at least two or three, you know, at a timeout plays where the, the opposing coach draws up a play to attack him. Um, because he, <laughs> clearly he's not offering anything on that end. And if he's not making his pick-and-pop threes from deep, um, you know, I, he doesn't have a role, like you said, Brian. He, he's going to be on the outside looking in, even if he's at that five position. I just don't see where his minutes – can come if he's not going to be effective on that in the court, especially considering, like you said, Spencer, like when they run those kind of pick and pops, they're going to focus their attention on Kimba. And there's probably a reason why he has all these open threes is because he's not become a consistent threat from deep. And he does have that side to his game where he's able to kind of, I don't know how, but he's able to beat his man off the dribble and kind of weave in and out and, and get to the basket. But if they're giving him all that space, clearly he's going to take the shot and not beat his man off the dribble. But unless you make those open shots, um, you're not going to be that effective kind of beating your man off the dribble. And if, you, and if you're shooting, what, 33%, 34% from three, uh, I don't think that's going to get it done. And um, this might be the last year that we see Kaminsky uh, in a Hornets uniform. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I would, I would love to be wrong about Kaminsky, right? Like, you yeah. know, I give him crap a lot. His game is very annoying to me. I just don't enjoy watching him play basketball. But, you know, the hope was – Okay, here's a guy who's who's stretchy. He's going to be able to hit five. He's going to be able to hit threes. 
um, you know, in these pick-and-pop situations. And then, you know what, he can. He can wiggle his way, uh, buy a closeout, and create a little bit in the paint. We've seen it some. So I'm happy to be wrong here. But enough is enough. Like, I, I've just seen enough now. Uh, but sweet headband. You know, cool headband. That was a new look the other night. And, uh, and so we've got that. Richie was, uh, was triggered me a second ago because he was talking about timeout plays. And uh, I, don't, I don't, didn't take note of this for a night, but let's, let's just hope that this season under Borrego that we don't have any more of uh, Frank Kaminsky being the, the trigger man on, on, out of, on side out-of-bounds plays or, or baseline out-of-bounds plays, which was, was a rough patch for the Hornets last season, too. So, Richie, actually thought that we're about to say before you brought up the fact that, like, yeah, defensively, like when this guy comes in with a second unit, it's it's open season for uh-huh. opposing coaches to just be like, all right, well, we're gonna put this guy in some kind of screen action on or off the ball, and it, someone is gonna be running free for a catch and shoot three or for a layup. Like, like just the exact shots we're gonna create, we can get it every time down the court if we involve this guy um, uh-huh. in, in the defense. And look, like the vast majority of this guy's shots that Frank gets, they're going to be wide open. Like, you look at the numbers, it's, it's not even hard to see. Like, 31% of this guy's field goal attempts last season were three-pointers when there was no defender within six-plus feet of him. That's, that, that is an insane number. Now, he had, he had a good clip, 41% on those. Just not bad. It's amazing to see, like, once there's a little bit of defense, like, he can't get a shot off unless it's wide that's open. Like, 9% of his doable attempts, there's a defender within four to six feet. He shot 31% of those. And he basically didn't take any three-pointers where there was a defender within inside of four feet on him. You know, like, he has to be wide open to get the shot off. And, yeah, he's a pretty good number from those looks. But, um, man, like, it, it, it's almost not enough to offset. It's, I, my opinion, it's not enough to offset everything else. No. Yeah, I, I mean, I – Definitely agree with that. Um, speaking of pick pops and, and fives that can hopefully competently shoot the outside shot, um, Cody Zeller um, made a three the other night. Unfortunately, he only took one, but he did stick that one, and uh, that is just an enormous, an enormous factor into how much the Hornets' offense can really get out of itself this season. If Cody Zeller is going to, you know, two, three triples a game. Um, and, and hang in that 35% or, or even maybe a little bit better area, I mean, that would completely transform, you know, what this offense is able to be because we know what Cody can bring on the defensive end, and we know how, you know, not how good he can be, but he's very confident in the short roll area with Kimba and, and can keep the offense moving when Kimba is trapped. Uh, more so, obviously, than Dwight Howard would do that last year. So we know what else Cody brings to the table Man, if he can get this three-point shot going, it would be just revelation for Charlotte. Yeah, I, I I can't imagine him actually, you know, fully developing that three. But uh, if he does, at least pose a threat from out there. Uh, I think he's only made. I think Brian mentioned this on the buzzcast. He's only made four career threes, and uh, <laughs> so he had he had he's one for one in preseason. But I'm not going to get my hopes up with that. But like you said, if he yeah. does. If he does hit the occasional three, it definitely opens up a lot in the offensive side and forcing players to move a little bit more on defense and help off of plays players on the perimeter. Uh, but you definitely saw his activity uh, Friday night, and you know he comes in and he just looks completely different than what we're normally used to seeing from last year with Dwight Howard. Um, just you know, just the hard rolls, the picks, the movement, the passes. Even on defense, he even switched on to a guard at one point. It might have been Kyrie at one point, and. Um, Clearly, Borrego's comfortable with him, you know, occasionally switching on to guards on the perimeter, and he and you know we know Cody's a hard worker. He's and he, too. Yeah, so that's going to help. They got to experiment with that. They have to experiment right. with that. And there's another play, um, and we'll probably talk about this player, uh, you know, kind of towards the tail end of this episode is Devonte Graham. But there was this one play where Devonte Graham was coming off of. Um, Cody Zeller's screen. Uh, it's, this is when he made that like great cross court pass. But basically, Cody Zeller rolled extremely hard right after the pick and forced uh, Jalen Brown, who was guarding uh, Batum on the weak side. Because he rolls hard, it forces the defense to move. And you know, Devontae Graham made that amazing you know pass across the court. If it wasn't for Cody rolling to the basket, there would have been no need for Jalen Brown to kind of help off of Batum on the uh, weak side corner. So mm-hmm. it's it's good to see that again from our, our five-man. 
I just like the thought too with him is again, look, his thing is never gonna he's never gonna be I'm not expecting him to turn into Brooke Lopez. That that's not that's not that's not the goal and that's I don't think that's the best way to anywhere close to being the best way to use Cody's skill set. But again, like you said, once or twice a game, if you can at least make if you can at least present a possibility there, it adds a little a little more breathing room offensively. And it just differentiates, you know, we think so much of him holding the screen, flipping the screen the last second, then rolling, looking for short rolls and stuff like that. If he could occasionally pop out, it just gives the defense one more thing to think about. And uh, I really like the, on paper, because we haven't seen him much. It's, it's crazy to think that last season, um, the, 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 the guys that started last, uh, brought in against Boston, which was Kemba, Jeremy Lamb, uh, Marvin Williams, uh, Tatum, and Cody Zeller, they played four minutes together all of last season. And in fact, Kemba, Lamb, Batum, and Marvin only played 94 minutes together last season, and it wasn't pretty, minus 12 um, net rating. But I like the way that it looks on paper with Kemba and Lamb in the backcourt. you got two guys that can run pick and roll and create their own shots. You've got four shooters, four guys that are going to shoot, you know, 35-plus percent from deep. We feel pretty comfortable. I mean, Lamb hasn't shown us a track record after uh, other than last season, and Batum is probably a little bit south of that, maybe closer to 33, 34. But four guys that can get up threes and hit them at, a, at, at least close to or way up or far above the, the sort of, like, magical 34% number. And you got a connector in Batum. you got a guy like Cody – that is constantly moving, hustling, screening, you know, short roll and looking for shooters on the outside. And if he can just, again, if he just adds another three pointer, and like it's, it it would be, it would be a big, it would be a big deal. Um, but it's probably a little bit wishful because we haven't seen much of even in a mid range game right. of guy's career. You know, very limited, very very limited. But these NBA guys are freaks. Like maybe he, in the off season, he he spent the last three, four months figuring this out. So uh, that's something that we'll, we'll see uh, as the season goes along. And, and I just would like to say a couple other quick numbers from the Boston game with this uh, Borrego's uh, debut with the Hornets. Charlotte, 113 possessions in this game. Uh, this is the fastest game of the preseason so far. Um, Hornets were fast last season, eight in the NBA pace, 100.5 point, uh, possessions per game. Pelicans were tossed at 102.7. Um, they also got up 36 three-pointers um, on 89 field goal attempts. That's over 40% of their field goal attempts were threes. And 10 three-point attempts from the corners. So over 11% of their field goal attempts were corner threes last night. That's a big deal. Last season, 4.7% of Charlotte's field goal attempts were corner threes. That was dead last in the NBA. And uh, 28.2% of Charlotte's vocal attempts were three-pointers last season. They were 24th in three-point attempt rate. So, again, just one preseason game, but they played faster. They got it moving side to side, more handoff action, and uh, nice to see, like, an increased usage of the corners. Again, a super small sample, but still nice to see. 113 possessions. Wow. That's yeah. really, really fast. Um, so anything that even flirts with that on a consistent basis would – Pretty much easily make the Hornets the fastest team in the NBA this year. Yeah, um, but it's I don't not, think we'll see. I don't think we'll see that. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that, that's a little bit of an outlier, but yeah. Yeah. Devontae Graham, Richie brought him up. You know, certainly some really good moments from him the other night. He plays hard on both ends. Offensively, he sees everything. Uh-huh. He really does. I mean, he's he can orchestrate an offense as a rookie right now. There's there's really no question about that. He scored seven points. Uh, three of five from the field, hit one three-pointer, uh, played 17 minutes, only one assist, but, man, he made some good passes. Richie, you had it. Um, you had a video of it on your on Twitter, but the pass he made to, to Batum in the corner. Um, I, was that Willie rolling down the lane, I think? No, it was Cody. It was Cody. Oh, it was, Co- it was Cody. Okay, so Cody rolling down the lane, um, Batum in the opposite corner, Batum's man comes to tag Cody, and Devontae just whips it across the defense, across the floor, really – right into Batum's pocket, who missed the shot. But, it, I mean, it's just that kind of vision and awareness uh, that is special about Devontae and just tells you really, really quickly that this guy gets it. He's ahead of the curve for a rookie. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I think Parker, you know, Tony Parker, I think he can still contribute. Um, he can still get into the lane. Um, 
not whenever he wants, but quite a bit still. I mean, he's still got a first step, um, and he's going to create open shots for his teammate. But, you know, it, it's interesting to think about. Is they're not taking a push him a little bit for minutes. Like, are we kind of approaching, like, we got to find a way to get this guy on the floor a little bit, um, and will that backup point guard role kind of just be by committee or, or play the hot hand? You know, that, that, that will be interesting to watch, I think, as, as the regular season approaches here. I think the good thing is that you can probably expect Parker not to make it, you know, 82 games and withstand, you know, his body at his age kind of hold up. So I think we will have to, by default, see Devontae. But if I had my decision, and I know this might be a little bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction here, I just think that the offense looks a whole lot more dynamic with Graham out there, and I, I would be comfortable with him being the backup point guard. And, you know, maybe it might take till midseason for him to get some more, like, meaningful minutes under his belt uh, and, and running the offense. But the thing with Parker is it's – it's when he when he is out there dribbling with the ball in his hands, it doesn't look like he's ever looking to shoot until he gets within like seven feet of the basket. So he's like weaving in and out, just kind of looking for players to pass to. At least with Devontae, he has that threat of the pull-up game. And and we kind of saw that in Vegas as well. I do like his pull-up game. But he's also just, you know, constantly looking for other players, making the pass across the court was was just a a great one. Um, It probably is a knee-jerk reaction, but I do, I would go ahead and say that I I would be more comfortable with Devontae as the backup point guard. Yeah, and uh, agreed, and and we'll see. Yeah, just yeah, I think all of us are parsing this with a grain of salt. And Tony Parker only played nine minutes the other night too, uh, in, in a preseason game. But because part of the equation has to be, well, what are you playing for too? You know, I mean, right. you know, the Devonte Graham. They they traded they traded a, 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 up a pick to get this guy, and they used part of the mid level exceptions that could give him that third year and and, and get. Devontae's bird rights. So, like, he's a part of it now and is going to be going forward. And so, yeah, I think come time this season, and we'll see, but especially with that second year being non-guaranteed for Tony Parker, um, you know, like, it just it's sort of like, what are, you, what are you playing for? And he's 23 years old. He's going to turn 24 during the season. And, like, he's he got to get, got to get this guy ready to play. Um, and I think we've talked about this a lot about free agency the last couple of years, but the Hornets have had to have basically had to dumpster die for point guards. You, you know, you think of Ramon Sessions, especially Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and then Tony Parker this year too. And maybe that's a bit of a slight to, to, to say that to Parker because he was like a culture franchise piece to bring in. And, and they, they spent money on Ramon Sessions two years ago too. But, um, you know, it'd be nice to see, even if it doesn't work out with Parker, and even if you shake his hand and you part ways in the summer of 2019, or if he's maybe even a trade ship between now and then as well, um, he's done a good tradable contract. Like at least it seems like there's a good chance that you still wouldn't have to then go out next summer and figure out backup point guard, while you also might have to figure out, well, shit, we got to max out Kemba Walker too. You know, like you yeah. you, you 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 have a cost controlled cost like a, a team controlled cost effective contract with what looks like a guy that projects to be an NBA player in a, in a, in a rotation player and could be a franchise backup point guard going forward. So I think there's a lot to like, and, and it's just, it's nice to see him out on the court because the, the injury in Vegas was so mysterious and, and ominous when it first broke. And so it was good to see him out there. And well, like the guy's an NBA player and, um, Richie, I agree. I think you know, for lack, for just throwing out a date, you know, after that, after that, like that fifty percent, that midpoint of the season, you know, maybe he'll get some playing time in Greensboro leading into this. I, I imagine he will, but I think that's when he can start to sort of like grab the controls of the second unit um, behind Kemba. And I'm, I'm, again, I think he's a guy that can help the Hornets win the season. And he can help the win three seasons from now too. That's it's interesting. I'm not all the way well. You know, I, I just want to bring it up because I think it is worth conversation. I'm still hopeful and a little bit bullish at, at, as to what Tony Parker can bring to the second unit, and I still want to see him and Monk uh, together. You know, totally. still, I'm still hopeful that he can make the game a little easier for Monk. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Brian, it's a good point. Like, like what are we doing here? Um, Tony Parker obviously had a long-term uh, investment for the Hornets. But, look, he, he was sold on a roll. 
I think he's made that very clear. That's why he came to Charlotte. They said, look, we really want you to play a role here, right? Not mm-hmm. just be a quasi-coach or a, guy, or a locker room guy or, mm-hmm. you know, how you want to phrase it. Um, they kind of promised him minutes. He, he had some familiar faces with Borrego and Batum, and he said, yeah, this is something I want to do. So um, we'll wait to see. But, look, Devontae Graham, he's, he's been great. He's going to push Parker. He's going to push Borrego to give him more of an opportunity. So it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, anything else we want to talk about here? We've covered – Quite a bit after just one preparing game. G, you got something. Just, just real quickly, want to say piggybacking off this Graham conversation. If we, if we want to, we can also use this to maybe transition into talking about Miles Bridges real quickly, who was certainly impressive at, at, at in moments the other night in Chapel Hill. But this was something that I thought going into the 2018 draft was so important for the Hornets. Like they just had to find. And I was saying this specifically about the first round lottery pick. Like they just had to find somebody that could come in and be a they had again, and maybe you, whether you thought that was Michael Porter or Shea Gilgis Alexander, like the night of the draft, those are maybe you think those guys have slightly higher ceilings, etc. Bridges, like I just think he projects NBA starter, NBA rotation player for a decade, and not only with Miles Bridges, but like with Devontae Graham, like the Hornets went out on draft night, and we'll see maybe the the, the other second round draft and stash guy whose name I'm, I'm blank that the foreign guy that they drafted, maybe he even turns into a player. Uh, Kabulka, but like, yeah, yeah. but at least with with Graham <clears throat> again, so early, but with Bridges and Graham, and again, I, there's no not sound hyperbolic with this, but like, I'm not trying to say they found superstars, but they found guys that could play in the NBA, and this franchise was so desperate to do that. They were so desperate to stick a first round pick, and it looks like they maybe even found some gold in the second round too, and and that was big. Because after no first round pick in 2016, and Frank Kaminsky is your pick in first round pick in 2015, he's been a bit of a, a I don't know if you want to say if he's just been underwhelming or a flop or whatever. Um, and then Monk was so up and down last season, and, and Bacon, we're not even sure, you know, if he's in the NBA in years, whatever. But it looks like they found two guys that can play in the league in the, in the draft this year, and that that should be. I don't know if that's exciting, but it should be at least a little reassuring to to people that follow this team, care about the franchise, anyone that falls under that category. I think there should be a little bit of reassurance that comes with Bridges and Jay Graham as draft picks. I mean, no question. Miles Bridges, you know, glad you brought him off. Can't believe it's this long to talk about him. But, uh, Best for I mean, look, his, yeah, right. his, his game is unorthodox. You know, he can use both of his hands. Um, he's a powerful driver. Um, his, his shot form doesn't look great, but – he consistently makes, you know, it feels like two per game, you know, dating back to kind of summer league here. And um, and he's just an energy player. I mean, there's two pullback dunks he had are really, really special in terms mm-hmm. of athleticism. I mean, he is a powerful, powerful player. And if nothing else, he's really going to help the Hornets lead pass rankings this year. Yeah. <laughs> more people are going to watch the Hornets if Miles Bridges is on the floor. That's just what it is. I mean, those two – Pullback dunks were the best highlights we've seen in the NBA preseason so uh-huh. far. We haven't seen it in basketball, but holy moly. Um, the guy's special. He's going to be a problem on the offensive glass, and it's very yep. obvious in a way that Borrego is going to d- demand that he crash mm-hmm. almost every position. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have thought, hey, look, this is something MKG is really good at. Um, you know, in years past, probably the best uh, from the wing wearing a Hornet jersey. Miles Bridges is on a way, way different level in yeah. terms of ability to offensive rebound the basketball than anything we've seen in a long time. So I, I am really excited about this kid. Um, Brian, you, you said it. He can play in the NBA. All right, his mm-hmm. game's always going to be a little unorthodox and almost similar to an MKG, but with a little bit more of a shot. But uh, his athleticism and power is something really, really special for a rookie. And that's the thing with his like athleticism, like he does so well on the offensive board. Like he doesn't even need to like time it perfectly because he has that hang time. But those, yeah, those putback dunks were something else. And we kind of said this in the draft process. But he's going to be a player, like you said, Spencer, a little bit unorthodox, plays with a high motor. Um, if he can just kind of develop a more consistent three point shot, um, he's going to fit right in. And I don't know how many minutes I anticipated him playing, but the more I'm watching him, the more I'm hoping that he does play. Uh, a little bit more than maybe I initially anticipated, whether that's at the three, the four, or a little bit of both. Um, what's interesting, I don't know if this is like a thing yet or a trend, but 
he picks up his play as the game progresses. It happened in Vegas and it happened again on Friday night. I don't know if it's just like a slow starter or maybe, you know, as the game gets to crunch time, he picks up his energy. Uh, But in quarters one, two, and three on Friday, he had three points and two rebounds. In the fourth quarter alone on Friday, he had seven points and six rebounds. So just kind of stepping up his play as, as the game progresses, or maybe he's just kind of finding his own, but maybe maybe it is the moment that he kind of steps up when it gets to crunch time area. And I was kind of thinking about this, you know, yesterday uh, and a little bit this morning in terms of, you know, if he does see more minutes, one player I feel like, and we don't need to talk about it too much, one player I feel like whose role should be or might be diminished is, is Marvin Williams. I, I can see him, you know, only playing like 20 ga- you know, twenty minutes a game here. So um, I do want to see Bridges more on the court than maybe I originally anticipated. I mean, that's the long-term hope, right, is that, you know, Marvin's contract is up in two seasons. It, it, the long-term hope, right, is that Miles is starting forward in the NBA. And, and I think some of those some of those – some of those projections could have him as a as a four, could have him as a three. Um, it'd be great to see him play at the four. It's like he can rebound at a high level. And if that's the case, then then yeah, you want that kind of that kind of shooting and that kind of playmaking athleticism out on the court too. Because he's, he's a bit of a bull with the ball. So I think that I think that should be the hope. And um, and maybe we'll, we'll see if there's any transition on, on that position uh, as the as the year goes along. Uh, really will be interesting to watch. But I, I do also want to, to appreciate, guys, that the Hornets have come far in a way that I don't think we've talked about all that much. So think about this year, them bringing athletes, especially Miles Bridges, but they're bringing athletes like Miles Bridges and Michael K. Gilchrist off the bench this season. I like that. Some, some, some length, some explosiveness. All I'm saying is they've come a long way from a few years ago where the second unit was a lot of Marco Bellinelli, Frank Kaminsky, Spencer Hawes, and Roy Hibbert. Like, like they, 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 right. they look different in terms of a, a reserve unit, and they have more switchability. They have more explosion. They have better transition players. And that's something that might help. You know, again, maybe I'm just drinking all the, the good vibes Kool-Aid right now, but that should um, help at least make give the second unit more of an edge than it did a couple of years ago. Uh, that's a good point. You know, they have really increased their athleticism. Um, yeah, look, the hope with Miles is that he comes along, he's able to really become our best power forward here sooner than later. Um, that, that comes at a cost and a little bit of a double-edged sword, I would say, because I think we're at the point where we probably have to view Marvin Williams, especially the last year on his contract, as pretty much dead money, yeah. uh, which is a little bit unfortunate. But, again positive in that is it means that you know miles has really pushed his way uh into the rotation and being a guy the hornets lean on all right well we've gone for about an hour talking about one preseason game so i think that's probably (laughs) enough for everybody's ears here but uh so we're taping this on a sunday morning the hornets are in action again tonight when you're listening to this uh you'll have a little bit more data to go off of and we'll see malik monk tonight it sounds like um rick bonnell reporting that he uh, should be in action tonight. Austin. Cool. So um, so we'll, we'll have some monk to go off of, um, which, look, there were a lot of positives the other night. I almost forgot, you know, monk wasn't out there. Right. So I saw him still the miles put back, which was a fantastic celebration. The whole bench, actually. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I just love how they're, like, they're on the court. Like, they don't care. Yeah, right. They have, like, 15 <laughs> right. players on the court. Yeah. Right. It, it, it was like a celebration where – it was like they were already waiting on it before it came, you know, which tells you that these guys know, like, this guy is a freak. Like, they've seen it in practice. They know how much he can bring to the court, and I, I, I loved how the bench got up for that one. So, good stuff. This is also, I do just want to say, too, this is like a slight, another slight thing that makes the NBA superior than the NFL, too. Like, the NFL coaches, they, they play coaches to just, like, scream at players to, like, push them back and make sure they don't get off the sideline. But in the NBA, no, nah, it's cool. Like, everyone's on the court doing handstands <laughs> and high five. It's like, all right, yeah, we're having fun out here, actually. It's, it's almost like you can make a substitution on the fly, like hockey. I feel like they can just kind of switch real quick. <laughs> Kaminsky, Kaminsky, yeah, off, 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 off. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, because you can kind of do that in soccer, too. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, good. Look, this was fun. Uh, Hornets basketball is back. We're excited about it. Um, and all right, Gedge, 
does it feel good to be talking about basketball games finally? I mean, I felt like it was never going to be back. I was tired of talking about the salary cap and numbers yeah. and all this other minutia. But basketball is among us, and we are tomorrow will be October 1. Gosh, we're 17 days away from the opener. Wow. All right. Good stuff. As that was episode 74, Buzzbeat Radio. Um, from here on out, I, I would hope that we're back just about every week. Maybe not until really the season starts. We might take one more week in between episodes, but when the season starts, you can count on there every single week. So jump back in the saddle. We're back. Hornets basketball. For myself, that's Richie. That's Brian. Don't forget, you're a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network and home at queenscityhoops.com. Sports Channel 8, or Brian Wright, uh, our good friends. Check them out at sportschannel8.com, and then on Twitter, they're at sportschannel, the number eight. Uh, for episode 74, we'll see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.